what I do is I just like to start it rather than being like, and we're away. Here we yeah. are with Joseph. You know that's yeah. fucking all good. I just, I just, we just chit chatter, and then as soon as it gets good, I'll just listen and then the editing until it gets to a good point. So don't worry. I just like to. I don't like. You know, you were talking before about the not wanting to like involve yourself in the, the media aspect of things. I try to avoid that in the same way by not sort of going. Welcome to the nine one six. Here we are with Joseph Both. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just yeah. it just feels weird, and it also like puts the pressure on you. I think as the guest as well. So, thanks. It's been great. You know, it formalizes a bit too much, right? It yeah. takes away from which, the- which is good in itself too, really, because I guess as the listener, it is nice to sort of know when the start of the podcast is, because quite often what I'll do is I'll just nip it to a point where the conversation starts being good, but that might be somewhat out of context as well. So it can also just start randomly, like it'll just be a part of the conversation that doesn't actually start with anything, but you get the gist once you're into it. But I mean, I tend to overanalyze things as well. I don't think it matters, like people will just get eventually anyway. Yeah, it's all about what's being said, not Mm. how, you know, there's no need to put a... uh, put a wee cap on it and say this is where we're starting and like I was saying to you before like I don't want to be considered as like the guy that does interviews I don't want to be considered the interviewer though what a lot of what I'm doing is technically interviewing people the less formal that I can make it the more casual and free-flowing that it makes it for us as the speakers and also for the listener as well well then it's actually like an interesting interview yeah exactly because who wants to hear someone answer the same questions over and over yeah. again. Home Audio Entertainment. Radio. The show for artists of all kinds. Sit down and relax. Enjoy the music. I think that's the thing though, is like when you create anything, like be it a podcast or, or a piece of music, like when you talk to people, is that from the outset you've always got this idea of intention. It's like you're always trying to do something at the end of it Mm. is that there's always some sort of like I guess you know you've got it for lack of a better term you've got like a goal in mind you've got like this point of like I want when people see this thing that I do I want them to think these things will get this experience out of it like Mm. the idea of free-flowing conversation between you and I right now yeah is like that's sort of why you've chosen the medium that you have as well and like your intention leads to the medium of expression that you choose. Yeah, exactly. And people will, you know, consume things in their own way, shape or form and create their own ideas around things regardless of what you're trying to achieve. But a lot of, I think, what um, popularizes something is what is done right about it, if that makes sense. So as much as I try to push a certain narrative or a certain idea that will come to fruition through just repetition and that consistent mindset around that idea that it will eventually just be picked up that way. Yeah. And I could, I also feel like I could be detrimenting that by constantly talking about it, yeah. but it also gives me a better idea about that idea by talking about it more like with anything, right? The more you try to explain something, the more you understand it. So the more that I talk about the podcast on the podcast and in and outside of the podcast, it, it starts to make more sense to me. Yeah. It's but, kind of the, the podcast about the podcast. Yeah. It's the, the meta podcast analysis. And I like that. I like that fourth wall sort of yeah. break as well. I had a friend on recently who had, who had said, those that have listened to that episode will know what I'm talking about, but he had said like can I ask you a question about the podcast on the podcast and I was like yes please because 
the more I do it, the more it makes sense to me. Not that this concept doesn't make sense to me and there's obviously a rhyme and a reason for, for me doing this thing, but the more that I understand why I'm doing it, the better, you know, I feel like I'm in a better place with it, knowing full well what I'm doing rather than just being like, yeah, I'm doing a podcast, it's cool and cool. Pe- I get to talk to cool people, yeah. which is obviously like 80% of it. But, well, you know. I think it's just a, it's a good, you know, sort of extension again that, by doing anything creative it's it's a process of doing it over and over again mm. and repeating it and talking about what you're doing and you know making sure that you're on this particular track that you've set for yourself so that you know how you're going to continue keep to keep doing it because there's no um, I lost my train of thought there no, so that's all right but, I do that all the time but yeah. another thing that I've been trying to sort of um, pitch to myself is is try and do something more than a well uh, i should say the reason why i'm trying not to keep to to do it in a way that's that's structured and and um i keep saying like commercialized and all i really mean by that is just like how what you would know or perceive a like a radio show to be and i'm not i'm never betting radio for this but i'm much less interested in listening to a, a 10 minute conversation with an artist on the radio being asked these really formatted questions that they'll ask probably everyone that comes on. Um, just typically like I'm not, not, you know, taking a shot at anyone or anything, but you know, the, the, the less of that, that there, that that's present, the more it becomes, see, I've already lost my train of thought as well. I have a whole nother idea for a podcast or how to use the podcast platform in a different way. And I'm sort of trying to breach the gap between what an interview is and also just like an ambient sort of track that you could play to, to fill a space. And so a lot of my ideas revolving around that idea f- sort of f- feed into this current platform where I tried it rather than just have a full on conversation, just sort of have room noise, like and instead of us being at this table talking about xyz we talk about well we don't even talk we just have a cigarette together and oh so that's recorded you know yeah that's actually um are you familiar with like there's a sort of a 20th century musical genre um it's called it's, it's like oh, what is it called um i'm gonna embarrass myself now <laughs> here i thought i had a really great point but basically it's this musical genre it's an experimental one that's all about again exactly just that like the ambient noise of like touching a piece of paper mm. or um smoking a cigarette yeah. like you just said or opening a window or something exactly. like that um and these really sort of small sounds that are just designed to fill ambient space um it's really interesting, but yeah, it's kind of crazy that you came to that conclusion mm. sort of in that vacuum, but mm. it is, it's like that, it's the Simpsons effect. It's like you think of something, but it sort of already exists in some capacity because <laughs> everything's been done to death. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it totally has. And, and, and this isn't just an idea that I've come up organically. Um, I, I do struggle to even realize what coming up with an original idea is, but I've, I've heard something of the nature, uh, you know, of, of that sort of thing, like a, a I don't even know whether you'd call it a podcast, but it's a, it's just a room filling noise of room noises <laughs> sort of thing. But I think that's sort of an important distinction to make with being creative is not so much that you're trying to do anything original, but you're just trying to create because you have this like innate desire in yourself mm. 
to create something. And if you do see something or hear of something <clears throat> or become vaguely aware of some sort of way of expression that you're mm. like, man, that really aligns with what I want to do. I don't really think it's important that it's necessarily original as long as you're mm. just doing it. Yeah, exactly. Is the exactly. most important part. I definitely believe in that too. And I, I also can like a lot of what I think about, I guess, and when I'm, when I'm doing what I do, when I'm painting, I often think like, oh, this is just copying this person's idea or I'm just doing what this person's doing because I like their work. And a lot of the time that is true. And I do see that in other people's work where you go, oh, that's very much a such and such painting or this sounds like a such and such artist. Um, I think it's important to embrace the style and approach to something that of, of an artist that you admire in their work as long as you can sort of transcend that idea into something that's your own as opposed to just sort of blatantly using that method to achieve the same result. So I often look at other artists and in different applications and mediums and think, okay, well, how have they come to to do that? Like how have they gotten to that result? Because I really admire that work. How can I sort of create the same effect? And so becoming original through just the process of learning how something else is done you find your own way in which to do something yeah and i think the other thing too to say would be that you know also those artists that you admire are also probably having similar feelings about the artists that they admire because really in reality no art is created in a vacuum you know all art is inspired by other art in some way shape or form so to say that you know there's no original art would be true for any art if you really wanted to extend that idea back further because yeah it's like you're inspired by someone or something so are they and so are they and so on and so on and mm. forever and ever until the beginning of time yeah um exactly. i think it's just sort of trying to remove that from yourself and just mm. going yes this inspired me yeah i really enjoyed it here's me expressing my version of that thing yeah. with the other things that I've also now picked up, fallen in love with and interpreted into my art. And then by doing that, it becomes original. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's a really good way to put it. Because like you think about anyone, any young people in particular that, that sort of develop this certain personality, whether it's the way that they dress or the the culture around the music that they listen to or, or what they define as being something that's cool or not, is derived from things that they've already seen, which has stemmed back to someone in some way, in some form, like how how many of those people within an echo chamber or a, a, a genre or, I don't know, a group of people, you know what I'm saying, um, are like, if you could if you could take those people individually and remove all ideas that have been consumed from that individual and just sort of had some sort of life where there's no artistic input, how many of those people would come out the other side organically the way that they are now, you know? Like there's there's, there's no way that I would have probably found the stuff that I listen to or like the things I like having not seen it from somewhere else, you know? I've only started painting a, a certain different way at some stage throughout my process without seeing someone else having done that thing or doing something in a certain way that I relate with and, and then that sort of feeds into my work. I think it's sort of inevitable that you'll do that, I guess. Yeah. As far as like your painting goes, and I'm just gonna again just to flip the uh the podcast meter on its <laughs> on its head. I love it. 
Um, I'm going to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. um, so as far as the painting process goes, are there any like particular elements that you're drawing direct inspiration from? Say like just to make it um, sort of a sort of an analogy, when I make music, I'm drawing from like a very inward emotional kind of reference. Mm -hmm. Are there sort of any references either inward or outward that directly inspire what you're painting? Because it is a very particular um, sort of style yeah. that I think sort of, I think it's not something that you could say doesn't have some sort of reference, I think. So, mm. That's an interesting um, take because um, here I go analyzing my own work again. I, f I think I think there's definitely emotion in my work, perhaps not from an internal space like you say. It's more of like trying to um, trying to develop an emotion through the viewer as opposed to myself. So a lot of what comes onto the canvas is not necessarily something that is stemmed from myself, whether it's an idea or an emotion. The idea has more been around trying to make someone feel something from looking at the art so a lot of motion there's a lot of um uh i suppose uh not negative but sad darker themes involved throughout a lot of my work which i just like conceptually um and i like how that can affect the viewer um so i wouldn't necessarily say to look at a work of mine and try and like relate it to me in any way because i there's a connection that's not, um, there's obviously a connection to each work to me, obviously as the creator, but as, as, as far as what goes into the work, it's, it's not really, um, you know, I don't paint this painting because um, I feel this way on this day. Granted that will play into it just in terms of the general application. But as far as the theme of the work goes, it's not really, um, there's not a lot of forethought. I just know the kind of image that I want to create and it sort of just spills into its own thing. To, to, to put it in its most literal sense, like um, my process is actually pretty bare um, in that regard. Like it, it is quite literal in that I quite literally just put paint on the canvas until an image forms. So as far as an idea goes, I could pretty easily say there's no ideas beforehand um, and that's kind of the fun of it for me is to be able to create an image out of just manipulating the paint around so that's kind of more of a nutshell explanation of it all no i think that's quite interesting and i think um i sort of had this sort of preconceived notion when i because I, ca I came to this sort of wanting to ask that question because mm. i had a, a sort of an interesting idea about where people get their artistic inspiration from and what they then choose to be the mode at which they choose to express themselves. Mm. So say, for instance, like you were talking about, when you paint something, it's it's quite conceptual. You have a concept of what you want to do, mm. and then you do it, be it trying to manipulate paint until an image forms um, or whatever, but you have a concept and you do it. And I think that's sort of like indicative of um, painting, you know, or sort of, artistic expression that's more physical in its mm. representation like any sort of sculpture yeah. or something like that um, whereas music is a mostly at least I think it can well it can be very conceptual and don't get me wrong you know there's 
some great music that's made just for music's sake that's mm. quite conceptual and mm. quite good um, but for the most part music's a totally emotional expression mm. it doesn't come from anywhere else I suppose in that sense particularly in what you do you form an emotion through responding to a tone or a, a note right is that sort of how you're saying it like um, so to be perfectly honest um, a lot of the music that I sort of do um, <clears throat> sorry uh, is is mostly rooted in so technically from my background as a musician I'm a guitar player and I've played guitar for about 20 years now so since I was about seven years old um, and for the majority of that, while I was in high school, I was a jazz guitar player. So all I learned was jazz chords and jazz scales and all the modes and theory and all that sort of what have you. Um, although I still, you know, practice it all the time, um, I don't really use those techniques as much in my playing as I used to. But if you were to take what I do as an ambient piece and look at it, um, you could apply the same jazz chords mm -hmm. and modes and melodies and that sort of thing. But what I'm doing is I'm just playing it really, really slow. Right. Um, <laughs> so for the most part, when I'm approaching the music that I'm doing, it's mostly improvised. Um, and that's to, again, lend the emotion that I'm trying to lend from mm. musically sort of infers what the work's going to be. So I'll go into it with some sort of vague idea of like, oh, I want to play this one chord <coughs> into a five chord <coughs> in this key, and then I'll play this mode and this mode over those keys. But instead of actually playing a chord or a rhythm, I'll create like a, a empty drone <coughs> of the same sort of tones that would then constitute being that chord but it's kind of so displaced rhythmically and without sort of any noticeable pitch in the way it, you hear it that it doesn't actually sound like that right. and then I sort of improvise melodies in those same keys sorry <coughs> um, over the top of that um, so yeah if you if you really wanted to get down into the nuts and bolts of it there would be jazz chords and scales and stuff you could find in those Sure. Um, drone songs. But the reason for that, yeah, is to mostly infer what my improvisations are then going to be emotionally. Um, so I guess the benefit for you and your knowledge with guitar playing, you, you pretty much know where you're going. So you at least know like where you're starting off. It sort of travels in a certain direction, but you have control of that direction. You know what a note sounds like and you know where to be to play that note at any given time. So is it like when you when you talk about playing with emotion or it being an emotional connection to the, the playing, you, you you know what sound you want to happen at a certain time so you can you can action that then and there. If in a in a literal sense, is that sort of what you, you're saying? Yeah, sort of. Well I think the best thing to sort of say to sort of like talk about improvisation is that to be a good improviser you have to be able to really listen to music. Mm. You can't. You can know as much theory and as many scales as you want, but unless you actually listen to music and listen to different types of music, you're not going to be able to improvise music in any style in mm. any way, shape, or form. Um, so it's about really like listening to what I'm playing at the time, and then kind of lending on my technical mm. 
I guess that's sort of what I'm saying is you've yeah. got that technical aspect to be able to it's, it develop is, something. It's it's a mostly muscle memory at this point, right. like because I've been playing for so long, I don't really even think about it anymore. But it is yeah, mostly just leaning on that technical knowledge to infer what I'm doing at the time mm. based on what I'm hearing, which comes out of these loosely composed pieces of music yeah. that I'm then just improvising over based on how I am at the time. Do you know more where to... Um, so when, when you associate uh, an, a note, um, or rather when you internalise something or, or when you know that you want to play a certain note just to just to define what it is are you more like okay i'm going to do an a next or are you going to you going to know where your fingers are you you're going to like you're talking about muscle memory is it like i know where my hands going to be for the next sound that i'm going to make as opposed to being like oh, it's going to be an a chord or well, a, a it, b chord it, or whatever it really depends on what exactly is it is that I'm playing. So if we're talking specifically about the residue stuff, which I think for the most part we mostly are, which is the the most of the music that I've released. Mm. I've played because I played guitar for so long, I've played music in just about, you know, every style that exists if it's got a guitar in it yeah. at some point in my life. Um, but for the most part, for the last I don't know, five years I guess, I've been releasing music under the Bonica residue, which if I guess at this point we've been blabbering on for how long and I haven't explained we haven't even explained what it is that I've been making but I make um like ambient drone guitar music um and what were we to I just I was just gonna say side note I think it's I think it's very important in these conversations sometimes to not have that idea in mind mm. so rather than talking about you know saying I play ambient guitar this is how I do it being like this is my approach to music and sort of, in fact, it becomes this, or rather, as as the listener, I suppose, your understanding of what someone's approach is is more related to the art as a whole as opposed to genre-specific things. The specific thing yeah. that I do. Yeah, yeah. And, and also how you're talking about what you're doing is also um, far more expansive than just music in itself. Like, we, we've gone immediately from talking about painting to music without talking about any specifics or literal aspects or applications though we've dabbled on that yeah. the, the ideas have have switched uh, between the two and I th but I think that's the most important thing about art is that it is this like sort of universal creative mm. experience mm. that everyone sort of has exactly but just how they do it but um, yeah the um, no again I <laughs> what has your relationship been like with music recently you're you're someone that I see on a weekly basis and we often talk about this in short spiels almost small talk in a way but what has your relationship actually been like with your music recently is it, would you say it, it's positive like if, if I can say anything from just purely just our conversations alone and your enthusiasm during those conversations you've definitely been on a rise recently as to where you are with music because i know you had a little stunt there at that some stage yeah and i think recently. i think everyone has those moments mm. where you know like it is like anything you have a sort of an energy reserve of it mm. um as far as the yeah, creative output goes i think i'm always sort of doing more than i was and doing less than I should be. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's sort of the way it always goes. I feel like most people could say yeah. that about what they do, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been um, making all kinds of things, really. Just 
not anything particularly serious, I think, at the moment that I could really 100% concrete talk about that would be of, uh, of, of relevance. But the, the residue stuff is um, basically all I've been really working on. It's very few and far between because, again, it's so driven by how I'm feeling at any given time. It's, it's not really so much of a, like a, a music project of like, oh, hey, everyone go out and listen to this. You know, you're mm. going to have a great time. Put this on at your parties. It's, it, is a, it is sort of a, a music version of like a sculpture or something like that. You know, it's something you would put on maybe once in your life, listen to and go, oh, yeah, I sort of felt and had some sort of visceral emotional reaction to that thing. I'm probably never going to listen to it again in my mm. life, but that is kind of the point of it. Yeah, sure. Um, because they are all sort of improvised, done live for the most part. Because I have a very minimal sort of recording setup. Like even this is the fanciest recording setup I've seen in a long time. <laughs> I have just for those for those of you that know and care, I have a, like a a Tascam uh, DR05, which is like a little XY mic field recorder. Um, it's only really designed for going outside and recording, mm. you know, bird sounds or whatever. I was but, actually very close to getting one of those for this, but like a four-way one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I use that just as a room mic and just record my guitar amplifier and have done that for forever. Mm. Um, so they're not, you know, they're not these amazing, expensive pieces, but they're more about, yeah, the idea of exploring improvisation improvisize improvisation <laughs> there we go got it out in the end um improvisation in relation to sort of an emotional re experience yeah, sure. that you're having at any given time um it was mostly like sort of that idea again talking about like no ideas sort of spring up in a vacuum mm. um i read a book uh how music works by david byrne which is the guy sure. from talking heads it's so funny that you bring that up. Actually, my flatmate has mentioned his name like twice in the last week, and uh, he's had to explain each time who this guy is. It's obviously something I should look into. Yeah, if you're not a if you're not a Talking Heads fan, check it out. Okay. Very good. Um, but there, when I was reading it, there's this passage that sort of sticks in my mind that talks about the idea of like if people know that they're only going to listen to music once, they listen to it really intently. Um, and so I sort of like this idea of like, I'm only recording these pieces once. So they only ever happen once. Like I don't, for the most part, because they're even the chords that I'm sort of coming up with are mostly imp improvised. Mm. Um, I don't remember any of them. Um, I can only perform them once. Um, so for the most part, people should only listen to them once mm. and then sort of forget about it. Um, and it sort of has this twofold effect where if I know I'm only going to play it once when I'm listening to it, I'm listening more intently. Therefore, my, improvisa my improvisation is better inferred and is therefore better. And the people listening to it, if they know they're only hearing it once, then they listen to it more and its message is more deeply felt. If that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, sure. So, uh, would would you advise someone that, in the literal sense, to be like, if you're going to consume this album or this single, 
be done with it after the first time? Um, if you want to listen to it more than once, <clears> then absolutely <throat> go ahead. But I guess that's at anyone's discretion, right? Yeah. Um, the way I approach it, yeah. Only listen to it once. So you, when you're working on something like a project, a compilation of sorts, whatever it may be, or even just a single, when it comes to like a mixing standpoint, what is the process there? Do you, do you even come back to the track to do anything further or is everything sort of like made to go from the first recording? Um, I've only sort of in the last maybe like six months started like editing tracks and playing with the idea of like recording loops and cutting them up and building pieces out of cut up loops. I, mm. I recently bought myself a, a hardware sampler so I've been doing it that way. But for the last, yeah, ever since I started doing it up until very recently, it's all been, yeah, apps like 100% live, single take recordings um, and unmixed, un, like it's just exactly as it happens mm. from the room mic and then immediately uploaded and then deleted from my end so it's gone. Um, and then it only exists kind of in the ether, and then if it disappears there, then I guess, yeah, it's gone forever, but that's kind of... You like that? Well, uh, I mean, no one likes the idea of anything being they've done gone forever, mm. but I just like the idea that, you know, it's it's it's, a, it's about what's happening right then and there. Mm. Ideally, you know, it would be happening um, like live yeah. um, is the best way to sort of do it, but... So you'd rather that component than even the concept of like an EP or something like that? Um, it Again, I think it all depends on the kind of music you're trying to make mm. because I think for a lot of music that I've done in the past and will probably do in the future, that's absolutely the best way and probably the only way to do it. Right. Um, but for this particular project, no. I don't think it really is the best way to listen to it at all. Right. Um, I think live, like any sort of experimental type of music, be it like ambient or noise or whatever, I've never actually really enjoyed as a recorded piece of music. There is a lot of ambient music and drone music that I really do like as um, recorded stuff, again, mm. just to contradict myself straight away. But <laughs> um, I think for the most part, a lot of like experimental music is infinitely better as a live experience because mm. it's part of the sort of the audience performer interaction aspect of it more so yeah. than what the actual piece of music is it's more sure. about trying to present an emotional idea or feeling and really give it to a group of people and it's an in the moment thing as yeah. opposed to so so even as like a um if you were looking to put together um, I don't even know, even know if this is on your mind. I guess by default, I'm sort of just thinking about this idea of having an album or an EP under this this title residue. Does the um, see? I've lost my train of thought as well. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, does it does it all sort of with a concept in mind? Well, how would you, how would you even, I guess my question is, how would you even approach like an EP or an album if you were going to do it under residue? If you, if I've, you. I've actually, I've done that. So. Yeah. And I guess that's sort of what I'm asking. Like how, with that point, it was just like, 
that was something you'd done at the time and it became part of the album or was it like this is what I'm going to make for the album? Um, so it was kind of both of those things probably is the best way to sort of say that. Is So I recorded that, I can't even actually remember the exact date that I recorded that, but I recorded that out at um, Chicks Hotel. Right. Um, yes, we've spoken about this, I think. Yeah, yeah. we have. Um, and I did it over a couple of days. Um and it was yeah mostly the way I approached it was I had maybe one or two things in mind but the idea was is that I was going to do like a couple of different versions of these ideas and have them as like sort of like a pieces that reference other pieces so it was a bit more as one singular thing that changed over time as opposed to like oh here's a bunch of different songs that i did um and so for the most part i think it ended up only being five songs so it's like the first three are one idea that i've played with with either different equipment or just different you know modulations on the melody or chord Mm. structure or whatever and then the last two are the same idea played with again in the same way um but it was yeah, it was just more more trying as best as I can to kind of capture that idea of something that you should only listen to once, but something that could you know be listened to as an album because it was one idea mm. presented in a couple of different ways. Right. It was kind of like that idea of like you can only hear this version of it once, but not really. You could listen to it as many times as you liked, but here's yeah, a couple sure. different versions of that to yeah, sort yeah. of sim- simulate that idea. Okay. And so in in that process of, of coming to, I suppose, completion of this project, was it like, I mean, how, how much of it did you listen back to yourself before you released it? Or was that kind of the point to just like, that was what was hap- that was what happened at the time of recording and so that is what it is? Or I think it was... Did like, you have to sort of combat your own concept then to, to have something cohesive to... Yeah, it was a it was a weird one because it was probably the one that like during the time of making it I listened back to the most over and over again and mm. did a couple of different takes of the ideas because for the most part everything's been live first take one and done gone whereas that one I did you know a couple of different takes of these things and there was other versions that got scrapped and there's overdubs and what have you um and I think it was just again it's just a method of trying to explore a different medium of expressing the same idea, you mm. know, like trying something else, like, again, like the podcast versus painting something. It's mm. just trying to take a similar idea of something that you might have and apply it to something else and see what comes out at the end. And actually, for the most part, that's probably the thing I'm, I'm most happy with yeah, uh, sure. as far as how it sounded overall because it did have that sort of more professional care that your mm. ears are used to. So mm. it did sound... <clears throat> It did sound um, pretty much like the best thing ever, but yeah. <laughs> um, it's know. brilliant as 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 the artist to get that result, yeah. and and presumably part of the thought process and the recording was the element of having the Chicks Hotel studio, right? So was there something that had sort of appealed to you about that space that had influenced the recording, or it just so happened that it turned out really well? Um, I mean, Chicks Hotel is like I think for a lot of people in Dunedin, kind of this like cultural you know, um, cultural tower in their minds of like good times that they've mm. had. Um, but it was also, yeah, it was just a, a, and also a really close 
locally recording studio that I had access to that I think just from I've had played there you know quite a bit as a as a youngin um, coming up to Dunedin from Invercargill before mm. I lived here shout outs to um, Invercargill <laughs> um, and yeah it was just it was a great sort of sound and I thought um, people you know people involved were uh, the people to sort of help me make my uh, my visions come come yeah. true so so and there was a, a, a generally a good mutual understanding about the the project um or do you find it was hard to communicate some ideas no so i was working with um a friend of mine um stephen ma as the engineer and so having you know being friends with him and sort of he sort of already knew exactly what i was making what i wanted to do mm. so it was pretty easy like we knocked the whole thing out in two days it was yeah it wasn't wasn't a big deal at yeah. all way it was that's i mean that's you know all you can hope for so was that kind of what you wanted i suppose in talking about what we have up until this point in terms of how you view your process and what the the art ends up being is that kind of is that kind of worked out in your favor having it in such a short period of time um i i think it's mostly one due to like my own impatience mm. i think is what drives most of it is that i'm just too impatient to really wait to not finish things right. when it comes to making art is like if i get the idea i have to do it finish it and have it out i can't really keep going back to things for some reason just because of my own i can relate to that yeah com That's conflicting the... ideas that sort of keep coming back and hmm. um you just want to finish that thing and work on the next thing yeah um but no, I think it was just also one the the process. The other thing that sort of made it so easy to create that was that m the my process isn't super important to how I make the art. It's more about the action of actually just making it. Because yeah. when you're playing guitar, you can play guitar just about anywhere with anything. Um, it's not really about so much as like where something is so like painting linked to the concept and the process and how you go about doing it and the step-by-step -step nature of it. A guitar, you know, you could take it with you anywhere, you could play it anywhere, as mm. long as you've got, with an electric guitar, as long as you've got power somewhere, you can plug it in and annoy somebody with it. So, mm. Mm. I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't, as long as I've got that available to me, mm. then everything else is kind of pretty easy and I'll just take it as it comes. Yeah. I think there's a pretty obvious answer to this, but do you think that the ultimate way for you to express this or, you know, um, yeah, present this idea is just through live performance? Is that really like the answer for you in what you do in this regard? I like, do you think there's anything, f any other way that you could somehow, rather than have the focus on the final piece, be it the actual emotional presentation of the music if that makes sense as far as i'm concerned like for the most part i think it's always going to be at its best in the live setting mm. just due to the nature of how i want to present it and how i want it to be interpreted but i will always sort of continue to look at the possibility of working out how to apply that to a recorded medium and sort of how to presented in a way that I'm ultimately happy with is something that can be listened to over and over and over mm. again. Because um, that's just part of, I think, the experience is sort of working out the best, you 
in anything, in any creative endeavor, the best parts are when you presented a problem and then you're like, how am I going to solve this problem? And mm. then once you work it out, you're like, oh, hey, now I've got a new set of skills and I can apply that to my other creative endeavors and mm. now I'm a better artist or creator overall. Um, so it's definitely like a, a challenge that I'm constantly working on. I don't know how happy I'll ever be with it ultimately, but, mm. you know, that's just all part of the fun. Yeah, I like that. And I, I really relate to what you were saying bef before about, you know, being done with the idea to move on to the next thing, you know, the quick process of getting from A to B and sort of, and in your case, obviously, most of the art is sort of, um, I suppose, transpiring or, or happening at the time of recording and playing the instruments really where the art is expressed for you. Um, I relate to that and just how quickly I come up with a painting. I don't like to spend too much time on on something because it becomes stale very quickly. And I think you're probably one of the first, if not the only musician that I've talked to with that concept in terms of what they do for the music because you're actually the first person that I've ever talked to that has this idea about having it play. Like I, I'm sure most musicians will like playing in the live sense because it's sort of a whole other element to it. But most of what happens... Um, at least the people that I've talked to outside of this podcast and on this podcast is that there's a lot of time and effort that goes into the final result, whether it be recording, recording until something sounds right or editing and editing until it sounds right. You know, So it's, it's interesting to hear your process and what I thought was sort of something that was only really relative in the, um, in the, in the painting world. I was going to say art world, but and specifically around the, the visual arts how you sort of emphasize that point. Well, it's not emphasized, but use the same notion in your creativity. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I think it's just one, the most effective way to interpret that style mm. for me, at least. Like, cause I'm, Specifically ambient. Music. Yeah, well, at least, yeah, at least if that's what you want to call it with what I'm doing with the guitar. Um, as far as other styles of music that I've been involved in and, and played in, I can see how that, absolutely relates but yeah for what i'm trying to do i guess yeah the best way is i'm trying to like paint an audio canvas mm. with what i'm doing mm. as it's more about you know like when you closely look at a beautiful painting you see all the individual brush strokes and you see these textural elements that are you know beautiful in their own right or captivating to the eye i'm trying to do that with sound in a way that to create like these textures that are captivating to the ear that overall when you put, piece them together create kind of like an image or mm. a feeling or something like that. And I think naturally through that genre you sort of have that emotional response to that drawn out sound as opposed to clapping 808s and thudding. Yeah. You know snares and hi-hats and things because that in itself is an experience but to it feels like that approach to music or your description just then of, of, of your, your thought process around music relates a lot more to, to a painting in, in, in both the literal sense and the, I suppose, the interpretation of or And it also depends how you look at art in that sense as well, like how, how much time you spend consuming a, a painting or a drawing or whatever and how long you spend consuming a piece of music as well will differ amongst different people too. But with the right mindset, I suppose you could really develop those ideas through just listening and listening so are you trying to i guess in this process 
like you say, you want that experience to sort of be done and consumed in that first listen and sort of have that be it. So is there sort of like a, you might not think about this so literally, but this is sort of how I psychoanalyze these things, about how, like, are you thinking, well, I suppose it doesn't really matter because you're you're just emotionally putting something on the table. You're not really thinking too much about how someone would react to a certain part of the song or a certain, certain note that you're playing at that time. But I suppose the nature of the music just leads people to sort of be a lot more calm. Yeah, well, I, th- I think the thing is, is that when I'm making it, I have my own sort of intention. Like I'm drawing from, like I was saying before, like drawing from an emotional reference point. But the idea of people only listening to it once, feeling something and then not feeling it again, I'm not really concerned if they're feeling anything at all or if it's even the same thing that I'm emotionally inferring from. It just has to be something. Like when someone looks at a, like I think we were talking about this before, actually, before the podcast, like you were talking about when people look at your paintings, you know, you just want them to have some sort of reaction to it, to so mm. take something away from it. Mm. Um, that's that's exactly the same with the music mm. is that I'm whatever I'm feeling or whatever my concept is behind it is almost for the most part for me totally yeah. irrelevant. Yeah. But if someone comes up to me after a performance and says, hey, when I listened to this, you know, I was taken away to this place in my head or I saw these images or I felt this particular way about it. That's all that really matters. Mm. That's all that I'm really asking for when I'm mm. making these things is that you have some kind of reaction that is different to the norm. Mm. You have it for a moment. You kind of have it as this little piece and then it sort of falls away to nothing. And then, and that know. person's probably not going to listen to that song just once. If they have that reaction, right? Like, well, maybe, maybe not. But I think you know, um, if it depends on how su- successful that reaction is, you know, if it's just a mild reaction, probably not. If it's an intense one, then yeah, yeah. And then that, the, but then that becomes its own emotional thing, mm. um, this own emotional sort of we capsule that you've built in yourself, which I guess is kind of like mm. a success as well. But it's not my absolute goal. Yeah, sure. But it just. And, and you only have so much control over the listener, I suppose, as, as well. People will always interpret things their own way. I see I see something um, in that idea that I find very appealing is that, you know, you go to a, a festival or a gig or a concert or whatever it is, any sort of live performance you have, um, a DJ or an artist that you don't know play a song and you whether it, whatever music it is, whether it's it's an ambient sort of song or whether it's something that you're dancing to or whatever, um, typically dancing, I suppose, in the snow. But, you know, not knowing what the song is, but having the best time dancing to that song or you have a real emotional response to that song and not actually knowing what that song was and never being able to find it again. And then you have that emotional attachment to the place and time that you heard it. And there's almost a beauty in not being able to hear that song again because you just build up this immense nostalgia around this track that you heard at this time that you'll probably never find again sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. That sort of pretty much hits the nail on the head of, again, what I'm sort of trying to approach from the idea of like, the improvisa- improvisation. I, I really, I really I, struggle with that. I'm word. really struggling with that word today. Sorry, everyone. I mean, you know, it's a, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one, but we'll get over it. Improvisation. Improv- yeah, improvisation. 
it's interesting, man. I really like hearing the way that you analyze your music. And I'm fortunate that I haven't been able to sort of get this information out of you earlier in the short lived yeah. moments that we have together at our workplace. Well, yeah, we're restricted by uh, two 15 minutes and a half an hour at the... Yeah, uh, yeah. At the or, well, actually, if they, if anyone listens to this, I won't say anything about <laughs> where we work. Or I always try to keep it anonymous. I mean, the people that know me know where I work, but, you know, rather not present it that yeah, way. Well, but we are colleagues. Yeah, we we have, all disclose that much. Yes, we have known each other for some time. So we have many uh, many great stories about retail service industry to, yeah. to tell. I mean, uh, I mean, what can you say about it? I mean, it's, it's dealing with people is... is in its own right is something that's honestly like I could say wholeheartedly that the, this employment has really like helped me develop as a, as a person just in terms of people skills in general like I I, I I struggled to remember what I was really like at the time when I wasn't in a job and this is all just sort of part of becoming an adult as well but just generally like things that happen in your life will affect that you the way you are today but i think definitely like having employment in the retail area is something that does help you develop a lot quickly like to literally be put in like unnatural tense argumentative positions with people there is no is the best way to learn there is no other experience in my life where i have had someone three times my age come up and yell in my face for no reason other than something that amounts to about fifteen dollars. Yeah. I just That's it, absurd. It is it's quite it's quite the absurd experience. I recommend it for everyone and no one all at the same time. Yeah. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because I guess to to, to my point is is really that it's like you I'm at a point now where those interactions and I'm sure you can relate are somewhat laughable now you know if if you do come across that particular scenario again you can kind of just roll your eyes and step back and you don't have as much tension as you would have had the first time you would experience that thing and so through that you sort of almost ready for sort of any social interaction I find myself a lot more comfortable or not comfortable but you're comfortable in some scenarios but I, I mostly mean like these sorts of things are tolerable now because these are so like exemplified and so unnatural, these interactions that we have at work. Um, when it comes to real life, you can sure you can have some tense interactions, but they're nothing like what you'd really experience in that way or it place. A, yeah, it is a weird, interesting sort of veil that it puts over people when they walk in mm. those doors where it's just like these behaviors that were not acceptable out on the street mm. are now all of a sudden acceptable because you've got a shirt on that yeah. is a particular color yeah. and you know you work here and i can just yell and scream at you until i get what i want yeah um but yet if i did that outside someone would ring the police and yeah i would be taken away yeah that's so true that's so true. That's really, that's, that's quite fascinating actually, like just be human behavior like that. Because you wouldn't, you would never, you would never walk up to someone and demand something of them without some sort of premise, right? But I suppose there is a premise in the, in the scenario when they're approaching us. There's something that we are somewhat involved with that they have rhyme or reason to, to be coming in and at least addressing this subject as opposed to just outright blabbering at someone. But still, like, there's there's probably many a given scenario where 
there is some reason to approach someone in that manner. Not that I could seriously think of, but you know. Not anything that I've, like not over anything that I've purchased with money. Mm. I, mean, I feel like that's such a weird thing to get, you know. Like I didn't create these products that you bought. I didn't smash them up in yeah. your house. I didn't make them stop working. Yeah. Why are you? That's that's my, my least favorite part I think about um, this job is that people do like, will seriously talk to you like you've made this thing. You know, they pick something off the shelf, they take it up to the counter, they buy it, it gets home, it doesn't work, it doesn't do this, or it doesn't look like this. And they bring it back in and they say like, you're going to fix this for me because it's your product. Rah, rah, rah. And I'm thinking, well, like, I don't, I don't, I'm no expert on this thing. Like, all I get is just constant, you know, God, I, I'm already starting to like tense up talking about yeah, this. Well, subject, I think, you know? see, the thing is, is talking about retail is a bit like a bell clip curve. <laughs> you start off laughing, yeah. then it gets up and up and up, and then you get really, really angry, and then you come back down and you're yeah, laughing again. You do, you do. And that's exactly right, because, I mean, that's the prime example then and there. And, that, and that's why I don't like talking about, like, I, I don't mind having these conversations, don't get me wrong, but like there's a reason why you don't talk about work like outside of work, I'm specifically saying, because you do just like you let yourself go on this rant about something that really shouldn't be affecting you because it's so um, uh, absurd, I suppose. I can't think of the right word, but, you know, abnormal, I guess, that when you really really start to analyze everything, you do get to the point of like, fuck, like I'm not even at that place right now. Like why should I be stressed about this thing? But then I guess it all starts back at square one when you're back in that environment, you know. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with just the nature of what it is and that, you know, it is such a social thing. Like you're always talking to people and it is because it is such a people heavy job, people and the way they react to you and the way they react to the things that you do have more of an impact on you than I think most people really realize. Definitely. Like the stranger in the street that gives you the stink eyes is going to have more of an effect on your day mm. than you're really ever going to let yourself admit it. Even if you're like, oh, pff, whatever, I don't care about whatever that insignificant thing was, mm. by virtue of even giving it that thought in your head, you've given it more energy than you really ought to in the first mm. place. Mm. And it's just due to the nature of how we are. Yeah. It's like people are so affected by their interactions with other people, whether they want them to be or not. Mm. And so something like retail, where it is just people all the time, personalities that you would never mix with in your life, just, you know, hitting right you with, you. Yeah, yeah, all the time, no escape. <laughs> yeah. Of course you're going to have it in your brain because yeah. that's, you know. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I've only ever, like, ever since I, I left school, I've only ever worked in retail mm. and the same type of retail as well, um, never changing, always the same type of people, always the same type of work, mm. um, only just changing it recently in the last couple of years. I'm not, you know, no longer involved, ex-employee. Mm. Mm. Um it's um it's quite an interesting thing. Yeah, you deal with a lot of different types of people. You get used to talking to different types of people. You see some of the most absurd, ridiculous behavior mm. that you would ever see. But I think, yeah, interacting with people of different types is incredibly important to developing yourself as, Absolutely. A, as Absolutely. a person. I'm and infinite, a infinitely more patient with people now yeah, after yeah. having worked in retail. Absolutely. And that's just inevitable through that work, right? Like um, you could even not even mention that thing and just have that 
ability, I suppose, within you now without even sort of talking about it. You'll probably may not even know things about yourself that you could even relate to the to that thing, you know. But I think I think um I think it's definitely important, like you say, to to be able to handle any type of person at any given time and, and that is something that we've that has stemmed from from this work. Um and I do wonder how important that that really can be when it comes to real life interaction um, or whether, whether, you know, it's almost become too, like whether actually coming becoming numb to it is a good or a bad thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I've ever really become, an, become numb to it, if you know what I mean. I think it's just that. I suppose it's always still a surprise when you get an absurd one. Yeah, I think it's the the reaction time and mm. the reactions mm. that I have are slightly different. That's like true. if someone comes up and yells at me, I'm still like, Ugh, you know, I still yeah, freak of course, out. Of course. Um, yeah, but true. it's not like as, not as earth shattering as it used to be. Yeah, I think right. it is a numbing, but it's more of a, just like you adapt to these situations and you go, Oh, okay, roll your eyes. Here's this, this type of person mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just deal with this in the same way that I've always dealt with in the same monotone voice of that mm. means like, please stop yelling at me. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care that it's broken. It's not my problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess. You're I out guess, 10 bucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess my, my point is more like, um, you know, that that's good that you can, that you can always look at an interaction from a, an outside perspective where you can, you can just, react slower and think more about what your approach will be in that scenario as opposed to just sort of like becoming this out-of-body experience where you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say and you sort of almost freeze in a way. I wonder how um, beneficial that... See, I've lost my train of thought here as well. I I guess what I'm... I do wonder how... So you've got me on this fucking spiel now. I'm all I'm all worked up around it. I well, just I just sometimes I, I think I do I do have a good segue if you want to please. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, there there are a lot of like as far as benefits go, you know, as far as interacting with people, you know, like you and I meeting each other, mm. however many years ago now, has been a benefit. Like as there's no video of this, but there is a um a painting of yours right here on the wall. Now, um, do you care to tell everyone how that painting came about well uh, let, let's just let's just be blunt about it i guess like you and i have been working together recently yes. with an idea about about merging our two creative sides together i suppose yeah it's sort of the idea of like again sort of i the funny thing is is we've sort of been on this theme all night but mm. it's more about how no art is created in a vacuum mm. and how art and ideas infer and sort of represent other ideas and art can create other art and that sort of thing and about how people interact and interpret responses to art. Mm. Um, and so what we've been doing is I it started with a, with a drone track that I've created. Now, hopefully, if this goes according to plan, we're going to plug your phone in here, buddy. We should be able to listen to some of this. Um, you getting that through your headphones now? Yeah, I, that is that is sounding good. 
Okay, so for those, this is quite the experience. Have you ever played music on the podcast before? I had uh, had a, a friend of mine play a song at the end of, uh, of one of our podcasts, which was quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is a piece that I created. Um, this, the way that this was created was again, this is one of my first experiments with post editing and chopping stuff up. So there was a um, a guitar loop that I created added some other things on top of it and then just sort of copy and pasted it so that it would then infinitely sort of like you can play this piece on repeat forever and it'll infinitely loop into itself so again another experiment in trying to create that idea of like a one time piece is mm. that like if it's never ending if it's kind of just the same thing on and on forever the piece is never really finished so it's kind of live Ooh, this, kind is, of, this is weird you're, you're quite literally plucking like what I struggle to put into words about why I like this piece of music yep. and that's that is really it it was like there was never a, a, the part of the track where it deterred or went off you know the 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 emotion that I got through listening to that immediate loop was what had drawn me about it and the repetition was what kept me at a level playing field so to speak so to be able to actually develop what I do through listening to this track was actually super beneficial because I was sort of immediately being pulled back in by this this note and this this tone and it was like quite yeah yeah I, I, I still can't really put it into words but it's yeah and again it was just my attempt of trying to take those feelings that would be created through a performance that mm. you would hear live in this experience that you didn't know what you were listening to you didn't know where it was going to go or when it was going to end and that was sort of the only thing that I could really take and be like oh I can do something with this and try and create that feeling again Um, but then yeah and then you've now painted a uh, an amazing piece that we're looking at right now to go along with it Um, hopefully we'll have many more and then try and find some way of um, presenting this in a way that people can kind of actually experience mm. this in together because it's all sort of in a way the next piece is sort of inferred by what you've painted yeah. and what I've created and then obviously without even you know being able to help yourself the thing that you paint is inferred by the next thing and the things before it and all of that sort of stuff it's this kind of again playing with this idea of of loops things that loop into themselves and infer each other Mm. and kind of create other pieces of art out of things that just go on and on forever so I mean in reality you know if we really wanted to take this concept out forever we would just keep doing this yeah Yeah, yeah. um, and I like that idea and it's totally plausible I um just a, a sidebar there is another piece that I've done to a tune of yours which I will I'll talk to you about after this because I think you'd be interested of course yeah, always but um I mean to, to, to really sort of put into into try and explain like the process here like for those listening if you do want to see the picture I'm going to put it on a video which will be up on YouTube so if you're listening to audio um if at some stage you want to switch over to the YouTube video I have the picture there so you can get a better understanding of this but I mean I, I wouldn't say there was necessarily anything different that really occurred in the process for this painting. Um, I think I was just in a better a mental state. Um, I, I, I don't typically like going to like, I don't know, 
like I say, like a, a big part of my work is, is not um, based around putting the emotion into the painting, but I guess if I could say anything about this piece of work is that there was something that was happening there in that process through the music. So this is why I find this this idea that we're having to be super beneficial both to, to you and, and myself, just through what I'm making. And I, I guess I'm on a, a, perhaps a more, I don't know, this, this probably will inevitably work both ways, but I find that I'm on a a good end of this deal where I get to experience sort of two things at once whereas you are sort of delivering the idea initially but I suppose through the response that you get from the piece created by me you sort of have a, I guess a more emotional response perhaps to the, to the next one through and, that as well that, it's sort of ever yeah and that's exactly it and I think when yeah when I sort of when we were first talking about this idea of doing something together, that was definitely something I really absolutely wanted to kind of create is this idea of like call, call it's in, in music terms, it's the call and response, you know, mm. like some, some musical idea is presented and then some musical idea is played in response and they mm. kind of play off each other. I wanted to try and see at least, you know, how you could do that across mediums. You know, if that was possible to create something that acts as like a cohesive work, so yeah. things, pieces of work that are two different mediums but are somehow related to each other just in how they were both created by at least, yeah, the initial idea of this first one was me creating something with the idea of sending it to you, I guess, is probably the only thing that really inferred me there was mm. like... Um, you knew it was to come of this yeah. song. But when I saw this piece, um, then yeah, all the ideas that sprung from that to create the next one that I sent you were mm. definitely heavily influenced by this wow, and okay. the reaction that I had to that. Mm. So if, you know, like my music is drawn from emotional experiences I've had, be they positive or negative, just ones that were felt significant enough to mm. translate to a piece of music. Um, then yeah I took that same reaction to that piece and then created the next piece off mm. piece off that so, so it's kind of this in, feedback in some reality like everything that we make here on out could be based around this track that we're listening to right now yeah. this could really be yeah I, I just I just thought about this whole concept of bearing like every, you know it's like a family tree it starts with one and it feeds into many yeah yeah, yeah exactly it's just it's this kind of like yeah, taking that idea of no art being created in a vacuum and kind of making mm. your own sort of progression out yeah. of what's effectively a, a singular vacuumed piece. When you, you've there's been something you said quite a bit. I'm, I might turn the, the track off. Now yeah, yeah, that's yeah, okay. I'm just getting a wee bit distracted in a good way. Like I'm getting quite immersed in that song. It's an amazing piece. Um, and see, I've already lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? What were we just talking about? The feedback loop between uh, pieces uh, inspiring the next and yeah. how this could effectively go on forever and that sort of stuff. Oh, for God's sake. I forgot it. Well, Damn. That was a good one too. But anyway, I mean, this this is really something that I, I have just stated before. I think it's something that's super beneficial to me um, in, in my approach to, to what I'm doing, mainly just because... I suppose I haven't really, like, something I was trying to say earlier is that I've always sort of looked at, um, like, when people talk about their art, um, 
and I'm I'm just I'm how do I how do I put this? I'm gonna I'm I'm just gonna say this with no apologies or anything. I'm just gonna be very blunt about this point, but I find it um, sometimes. I think art is sort of inherently, um, for the most part, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pretentious. Right. And not necessarily in the art itself, but more within the artist. And I find there's a lot of pretentiousness amongst a lot of artists in terms of how they talk about what it is that they do. Um, And for a lot of what I've sort of heard people say about their work or where their work stems from, um, and and this is not sort of, again, taking a hit at anyone. This is sort of generally how, this is to me just being honest about how I've interpreted someone's explanation of what their art means and where it comes from. And this is something you've already touched on sort of already in your process. And, and it's definitely not something that I disbelieve or don't believe in and I feel like with you it's coming from a, a genuine place knowing you and as a person and explaining your approach it's sort of evident where your process stems from so I'm going to exclude you from my point right now but a lot of what I hear I sort of roll my eyes at you know like something's almost too much there's almost too too much unrealistic things intertwined in someone's process so and, and this is not to say that my work is, is is different or better than anyone's because it definitely isn't. This is just my approach. This is this is coming from someone who currently is pretty emotionally stable. I'm not sort of teetering on either end of the emotional spectrum. I'm pretty good in my mental state at the moment. My mental health is good. So my current approach to art is actually fairly neutral and that may sound really boring and it, it, it often is and becomes stale for me at times, but that often means that there isn't actually a lot for me to explain about something that I create because it is actually coming from something that, from a really neutral standpoint. I just know what I like and I want to make an image that represents that. So when trying to explain things related around what does it mean to me or what is the image portraying, I literally have no idea. That's the most blunt way I can put it. Sometimes I just don't know. I don't actually think about it that much and I don't actually care about it that much. In the most literal explanation, I just like the imagery that I create and I create the imagery that I like and that's really all that there is to it. And I've just completely forgotten where my point was lying within this argument, but I just guess that what you've presented to me through this has actually started something in that sphere of actually like feeling something beforehand as opposed to just sort of neutrally approaching something. And so then in turn, I guess a, a, a sort of a, a sidebar to this point or something I've just sort of now as, as I've been explaining this is that, um, you know, I'm, I am starting to sort of analyze within myself what my art actually means and whether art should even mean anything or whether art should be something that does stem from one place or the other on an emotional spectrum. Like, am I making good art because I'm happy? Am I making good art because I'm sad? Am I making good art because I am not influenced by either bias? Do you know what I mean? And Absolutely. Like, where, I think it's, when it comes to making art in any respect, I think it is, as much as it might seem 
pretentious to apply, you know, like labels to art and be like, oh, this means this and this is, and you know, referencing that and this is trying to interpret this or whatever. I think when you do that to other people's art or ask the artist, then yeah, like a lot of the time I'm exactly the same when I'm making something. I don't really know. I'm just sort of reacting to something. Like I might be neutral at the time. When I say that I have this like inward emotional reference point, it's like I have like an emotional memory of a time or a thing or something like that. You know, I'm like fairly neutral when I'm making it, but that's sort of what I'm drawing off. But for the most part, you know, if I don't really care what the interpretation is. Mm. But I think when you're making your own art and you're making art and putting it out in the world, I think it's really important for you to do that to yourself. Right. Because if you're making any art, and it was like I said at the start, I don't know if, even know if it'll make it in, um, there's, you need to make art with intention. You can't just make art with the sake of making art, which you can, and there's going to be people, if they listen to this far, argue with me, oh, there's plenty of art movements that were art for art's sake. And yeah, they're the exceptions that sort of prove the rule, I think, is sort of the way I look at that. And that, like, if you don't... and But that had an intention, that had... Art for art's sake is an intention, you know. Mm. Um, you need an intention to your art. You need to find, even if you're making it like viscerally and reactionary and emotionally like I have been doing, you need to retroactively sort of think about it and go, why am I doing this? What does this mean? Where is it coming from? Mm. What creates it? And how can I play with those concepts to create better or sometimes worse art? Mm. But, you know, how do I explore the experience of being an artist and creating? Because for the most part, when I'm making this stuff, when I'm making art, it's not because I'm like, oh, I've got these particular ideas that I really, really, really hope that people get out of this. I'm like, there's something inside of me that's like, I have to make a thing. Mm. I have to create art. I don't know what it is, but it's just like in my head and inside me, it's like, you need to make a piece of art all the time. Yeah, um, Go out and do that. Um, and that's what's driving it for the most part. Right. So that's your... Um I've already forgotten the word that you used, your, your purpose, I suppose, yeah. with it. See, I, I that, that's, that's pretty much what I'm questioning within myself is like, why am I making art? What is my art? What, what does it represent? What does it fulfill? What does it really do for me? All that I know is that I just love to do it. That's reason enough, though. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be any more complex than that, though. I think that's the important thing when you ask yourself. Because they're really tough questions to ask yourself yeah, as an artist. Absolutely. And if all you can come to is at any given time is because I love to do it, then yeah. that's probably the most important reason and the only one you're ever going to need. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I've, I sort of just remembered where my mind drifted before, and that was um, I um, sort of one of the reasons that I had started thinking about all of these things was because every time that I had seen a piece of art in the presence of the artist, um, there was always some meaning to it. There was always it was coming up from a place of this or that, or I did this at this time because I was feeling this way. And so I start going, so so do I have to like have something happening to me at the time or do it, does it have to be like the question I was asking myself was does art does real true see see I'm over here sort of having sidebar, sidebars in my own head about like what I'm saying like what is art what makes good art what is good art what defines good art I'm thinking about like if everyone's telling me that there's something 
about them that's connected to the piece of art that they make, does that mean that that has to be what makes good art? I think, Quote, unquote. I think Do you know what I mean? good art is people reacting to it in a way that is positive for them. Mm. That's what good art is. Mm. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. But as far as like what you were saying before about, you know, having intention and feeling like you need to have intention or have some th- meaning to talk about behind your art because other people do, there's two sort of methods, you know, you can be absolutely honest, you, like you have been doing and just say, I do it because it's fun. These are the images I like. Mm. These are the images I make. Or you can take the method that, you know, some other people take and it's just a lot of clever clever bullshit really because you know some people just don't want to be honest and can't put it into words that you know their music is just well their music or their art or whatever is just an emotional reaction or a reaction Mm. to an influence or something like that as opposed to having this concept around it that's very wordy and eloquent and Mm. talks about particular things when in reality it's just all art is the end step of the creation process, which is sort of the the most important part about it for me anyway. I think there's been a big um, sort of trend, I suppose, or an idea that's been romanticized, which is now sort of implanted within the art world. And I mean the art world in the broader sense with visual arts, music, whatever it is, that good art, again, quote unquote, stems from a dark background. So if, you, if you're looking at like art history, to name drop a few people like a, a Picasso or a Francis Bacon, a, I don't have that many examples at the top of my head, but like a Basquiat, perhaps, Andy Warhol. Most of those artists have something pretty dark that sort of happened in their, in their lifetime, which in turn has sort of spawned this movement of art or this, this art that has... I guess, has all all of the stuff that's happened to this person entailed in the story and the message because of this thing that's happened to them. And so I think what's happened is that concept, we look at good art as being something that has stemmed from someone that has had like, oh, did did you know that their dad died when they were a child? So they had a really poor upbringing, you know? I just, I have a pretty interesting conspiracy theory about why this actually is. Please. So... We have, like you're saying, we have a cultural obsession with things from dark places and sad backstories and what have you. Um, when uh, back in the day, when there was the library, you familiar with the Library of Alexandria? I can't say. I am. Uh, it's in. I forget where it ended up being, but it was a sort of a classics, you know, sort of ancient Rome, ancient Greece type structure that was um, burnt to the ground and in it was um, two books, the sort of the the Greek books on how to write tragedy and how to write comedy. You know, these books on how all the best Greek plays were written and the theory behind the ancient Greek plays of old and, you know, how to basically write the best plays. 
the um, the book on comedy, supposedly, and I, this is just a conspiracy theory, remember, I'm just sort of talking off the cuff here, please don't quote me on this. Um, the book on comedy was destroyed and lost, and the book on tragedy was kept. <laughs> it was sort of, you know, like preserved, but not destroyed in the fire. And so there's this idea, at least for me, that because we've had such a cultural importance put on tragedy and had such great you know, knowledge on how to write good tragedy and how we've sort of only ever really experienced the best stories and the most highbrow and sophisticated stories as being tragic ones. You know, no one's talking about the best comedies of all time being <laughs> highbrow movies. Yeah. Um, you know, right, right. We're talking about tragic films yeah, and that yeah. sort of thing or dark and brooding themes. Those are the things we sort of associate mm. with any type of high art, mm. you know, comedy music or painting you know like if you put a bunch of googly eyes on your paintings it wouldn't suddenly <laughs> increase the artistic value in any sort of respect right because it's it's silly it's hilarious yeah, yeah. you know um but i think it's because of that it's because for whatever strange reason whether or not the two are even linked in any way i don't know again that's where the conspiracy theory kind of dies because i've got i've got a i've got a beginning and i've got an end but there's no middle ground in there of how the two are related um but yeah, we've got all this importance put on tragedy because of the burning of the Library of Alexandria. At least in my opinion. Yeah, but, that's know, really interesting. Not as crazy as some conspiracy theories out there. So, as much of this is a theory, that story in itself is true? I, As far as I'm aware, it's about as true as any of the stories from that you mm. heard in high school classics. Mm. Um, take it with a grain of salt. But imagine, imagine the the flip side of that theory, you know, imagine yeah. if the comedy book was kept and, and what we defined as, as highbrow sophisticated art was, was just comedic stuff, things that made you laugh, but mm -hmm. then what made you laugh would be totally different, you know, cause then like in what capacity in that world or that timeline would you view dark and deep and meaningful art? I think you wouldn't be able to depict it. Not go into a nightclub and have yeah. dark paintings on the wall to yeah. get sad about. Yeah, or like depict, you know, truly complicated emotional experiences that are funny. Mm. Like I think that's the interesting concept about like successful comedy versus successful tragedy. Is successful tragedy kind of, at least when we're talking about, you know, depictions of them in the broader sense, tragedy is always talking about more deeply nuanced aspects of the human condition you know experiences that are a bit more complex and a bit more harder to kind of come to a conclusion to something that you would actually sort of seek guidance through but the comedic ones are necessarily more surface level and don't really like talk about the more awkward or absurd or kind of more complex things in the human condition that to an individual could be funny you lost me a wee bit there did i so what so, yeah, you did lose me quite a bit in that. Yeah. So, so what what what's the point of what you're saying? You're you're saying why things are the way they are now, or what could have been? Well, as far as like um, why one is more important than the other, or why right, why right, one okay. is more successful than the other. Sorry, so, because not... because tragedy is so much more able to be infinite, infinitely nuanced mm. in its capacity to like explore certain elements of whatever you right, know like right. a really dark or tragic piece of art will explore something that's a bit more complex 
for a person to have gone through. Mm. Whereas something, a picture that's really funny is something a bit more surface level and doesn't really have the capacity yeah, to explore sure. or something that's sure. more nuanced and complex, but still funny to someone. Okay, sure. I'm sorry. I'm Just to, yeah, 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 yeah. to repeat it a bit. I probably got a bit carried away with myself. No, no, it's good. It's good. It's, it's yeah, a couple of words there threw me off. But yeah, yeah I understand <clears throat> what you're saying. And that's in- interesting. And in, 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 in this theory that, you, that you're portraying, do you think that a lot of that influence in the in what we we look at um, the darker side, tragedy, as you say? Do you think that with that being the what with that being the book that remains? Do you think that overpowering part of the story has also been what has influenced parts of comedy? Because a lot of comedy can actually be quite grim. What we actually do laugh at. There's actually sort of tragic stories and, and in that capacity you can you can listen to a joke related to about someone's death or something can actually be quite humorous, like a black sort of comedy. Yeah, I think I think it definitely is what sort of has probably influenced the most. But it's hard, it's really impossible to know because one who knows if this theory is even correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. it's a theory. It is yeah. a theory, yeah. Um and who and who's to really know? what the basis for the Greek comedy mm. and its like full capacity would have even looked like and been and how that would have influenced and shaped mm. comedy because it could have been incredibly grim. Mm. You know, it could have been, they could have both just been absolutely miserable reads. Mm. They could have just been, oh, so all the all the stuff that's in the terrible tragedy book is also mm. in the comedy book. But, mm. you know. I do want to debunk your theory with an idea. I do think that... Um, Regardless of what book was saved, I think things probably would have still panned out the way they are. If you look at how much tragedy is in everyone's life, in every point of being, every point in time up until now, there's been tragedy, and most commonly in the form of death. And that is inevitable in our lifetime to experience some tragedy, whether it is ourselves or others, friends or family that we are amongst. I feel like tragedy is inevitable regardless of what has been left behind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I and think that comedy, comedy also still prevalent, but not as inevitable, I, I guess. I often wonder if, like, because while I also absolutely agree, like I totally mm. agree that tragedy and misfortune and all those sort of like nasty feelings that the tragic parts of art try to express mm. do exist way more than the things that you could laugh at as far as experience goes. I often wonder if, again, that is some sort of feedback loop, though, and that the media that we've consumed, be it art, you know, music, paintings, whatever, or anything that we consume visually and absorb into our brain, you know, I wonder if it's because we see that in such a prevalence of depicting tragic things because you got to think about the art that most of the art that you and I have consumed came out before we were born Mm. Um, this pattern has existed for some time so we were set up you know from the very beginning to just start experiencing the tragic depictions of the worst of the worst Mm. I wonder if that's what just as a feedback loop keeps creating it if you sort of know if you get what I'm meaning there is that do you want another beer I could I could drink another beer, bro. I'm really loving this. I just want to keep the buzz going. Yeah. Should we should we take a pause? Yeah, we can do. Okay, hold on, Jonathan.
Are you warm enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm warm enough. Good. That's good. Crack a beer as a, <laughs> a sound cut. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Just I think that's, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, we sort of uh, abruptly cut into that. Sorry, that's for that's a, my bad. For but a beer break, but I think that's it's just right. as important as to take breaks from these things to clear your head a bit because it seems as though we were both sort of losing our trains of thought here stuck and there. In a, getting stuck in a bit of a loop. Yeah, exactly. Talking about the same thing, but we were yeah we were briefly talking about sort of the influence of of darkness and tragedy on works of art and sort of I think the prevalence of tragedy yeah. being like the feedback loop that causes tragedy to be the thing that you sort of appreciate mm. the most because so I'm, I'm quite i'm quite fascinated in this so i i came at we i came at you with a point about the inevitability of tragedy and you sort of had a counter to that so can you elaborate a bit more okay, about so, where you were coming so from so yeah so because of this the the point that i was trying to make was that because of the prevalence of that you then in turn notice it and therefore remember it it's such a greater capacity because you're so influenced by the media you consume. Right. Like you're so unable to sort of um, remove, you know, the reality of the world around you from the media that you can consume that the thought patterns that exist or the, the patterns and ideas that you get from media are exhibited in your everyday thoughts. Mm. And so things like because you're so exposed to tragic media and sad media at it, much more wider capacity than you are media that would be funny or otherwise uplifting um you notice it way more you pick up on it way more you hold on to those bad negative feelings way more mm. because of the way you've been shaped by the media you've consumed whether you really want to admit it or not but i think it's pretty it's pretty apparent mm. for most people at least yeah yeah i would agree with that do you so do because of this this whole theory around the the books and what was left behind and what was what was I think I think it's more yeah, I think it's more of a as opposed to like a air quotes you're not looking at yeah not not that look at it so literally yeah it's more but of you, a you, metaphorical you, conspiracy theory about, yeah, yeah, about yeah. media yeah. yeah and I don't mean to to sort of take it so literally but um, just to sort of get a better understanding like are you sort of looking at that at that theory as a reason as to why we are this way or do you see like a flip side to that to what do you think the world would actually be different if there was the other book left behind if um, we're talking about that specific theory i think for the most part it's mostly just like a, a general observation yeah like there's not yeah. like i think it's an interesting factoid that or the, the what what we do experience does relate so truly to this story i guess yeah or more yeah exactly that or more just you know to try and point out just how much you know the media that we consume is so influenced by you know um as in they're sort of pushing a narrative that we don't necessarily want to see or no no really just to sort of yeah get back on track because i really did lose my train of thought there for a second <laughs> was that um we are really yeah heavily influenced and you know made who we are by the media that we consume or the the art that we consume to a paint a broader stroke um and then that really does shape who we are as as people because of what we've seen and Definitely. what we've heard do you so are you saying that um i you, you're still talking about tragedy right like in terms of like what we are generally consuming in this media in a, in a, sphere in 
and that's sort of yeah the the metaphor there is yeah like the the difference between tragedy and comedy and how prevalent it is mm. but i think you could apply it to the idea to media and art as a whole was there any idea be it a positive one or a negative one even though yeah tragedy does exist in a in a vast more so if you want to put it that way which i think it does mm. um but yeah any idea that you get from media will put itself in your head and will make it part of who you are mm. in some way, shape, or form. Um, it doesn't even have to be, you know, a massive change or mm. something that you're even really aware of, but it will do. And that's more prevalent these days than any other time period as well. Yeah. The whole media in itself has really only been a thing for the last... 100 years, yeah. 200 years, maybe. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's only become even more extreme you know if we're going to go and talk about the ultimate tragedy of all tragedies and talk about the sort of psychic damage we've all done to ourselves with social mm. media mm. and sort of all made ourselves you know i don't know <laughs> we different. Are, yeah. it's like the ultimate plot to a body horror film you know yeah. everyone's been irreparably changed by social media and some mm sort of way but it's not physical it's kind of in how we behave and how we interact with the world around us but although it's you know there's massive positives to it i'm not here to boohoo it but there's I've, i could we would be here for this podcast would be going on for another seven hours if we really got <laughs> it really would it is it is it is a conversation that does open up many many doors and something that i definitely am open to to having the conversation about um Obviously not for seven hours, but you know, it's it, it is something that I do find fascinating because there's there's always two sides to the coin, right? Like I do look at the the media the same way you're explaining, where like a lot of what we're consuming is either irrelevant or too grim, or you know, pushing a certain narrative, or we're led to believe certain things that perhaps aren't all true. And and what aspects can you believe, and what aspects can't you believe, or shouldn't believe, is hard to tell. Um, especially again, since the amount that we have access to, and the amount that we we do consume, even without knowing it, the stuff that we are influenced by is is, is very prominent. So it's hard to really depict how you actually think about a certain thing had it not been something you had seen through whatever media platform it is, you know? And it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, well, I, I, just, I don't really have any point to that, but it's just, it's, I guess, more of an observation. But I, again, it doesn't have to have a point. I think when you talk about these sorts of aspects of like human behavior or the human condition or how people are and what makes them who they are, is you can't really claim to have an answer if you're mm. making these observations because mm. then you, I mean, who's going to listen to you if you're yeah. like, oh, well, this is the way you have to be now. This is the answer to that. Exactly. I don't think there is really a good answer to any of those observations. It's just that's the way they are. And the irony is a lot of the time those narratives and those ideas will be pushed through a media platform yeah. as well. As a way to push another yeah. idea or, yeah. yeah. It's so it just that, comes intertwined. Yeah, it's just that the nature of, you know, when someone discovers a way to manipulate someone, they then apply that manipulation mm. technique as much as they can. And there's no better way to see that happening than in the media. Yeah. Particularly, you know, advertising is probably the the major one for it, I you suppose. You can't escape that now. It's actually immensely disruptive, the amount of advertisements, advertisements that we that we consume. Yeah. And not by choice. It's never by choice. No one consumes ads by choice. Not That's a, why they're ads. Yeah. But it's like, it's getting to the point now where you can't even 
you know, when you are choosing to look at social media or whatever media, if we're talking about it in the general sense, a lot of what you are doing on the, those platforms now is just disrupted by more media that you didn't choose to um, absorb. You know, it's your whole like ability to even consume media through that platform is now just a net negative experience because mm. of the just sheer flood of advertising. Mm. And I mean, it's all there is a, and it's a malicious reason. It's you know again to commodify you and turn you into a resource to be mm-hmm. bought and sold as data exactly. to create more advertising. Yeah. And that's why there is such a huge stunt in advertising is because a lot of people, especially young people with this influencer culture that we have now, a lot of people are looking to social media or looking at about obtaining a certain lifestyle or a way, just a way of living in which you don't have to have a nine to five job and you can just live off companies paying you to wear or use their products you know and those ads get like you th- you think you follow someone because they're cool and you like what they do and then you see them advertise a product and you just sort of have this immediate like dissociation with that person because it's like oh, this just this feels like just like another commodity that's being presented to me like how weird is it when someone gains so much popularity popularity that ads just start getting fed into what they do and i'm going to be the biggest hypocrite here because this may well be get to a point or I will perhaps want it to get to a point where it could be profitable and I as a millennial wanting to not work the nine to five routine and do what I love to do for a living will look at ways to look to profit off what I do and that usually will involve advertisements so it's kind of like a vicious cycle yeah. you know it, like, it feeds into itself forever because they know that that's the only way that you're going to yeah. make money, they know full well. They're like, yeah, hell yeah, you can do you. You can you can escape that type of, you know, like slavery where we're not going to exploit your time or mm. your mental energy where you're locked into a retail space. Yeah. But now you belong to us in the expressive expressive sense. You mm. know, it's like now if you want money from us to escape the nine to five, now you have to give up the space that you exhibit for expressing yourself. You know, if you're a content creator and you want to advertise, the way you express yourself, you know, is within the context of your creations because that's how you do it. So you would put an ad here, you know, (laughs) drink this delicious drink. (sighs) Um, That sort of stuff in the middle of a podcast. (laughs) Um, But it then, you know, instead of them owning you, for your time and your mental energy like they do in a shop they now own you Mm. for what you create Mm. which I think is a different kind of like you know control that people with power employers and such Mm. you know have over their employees in a way yeah Um, yeah in that sense it's I think slightly different I mean like it's not like anyone has I may have missed the point of what you were saying here, but like when you're when you're seeking to uh, entail advers- advertisements in what you do creatively or whatever content you do outside of a quote unquote nine to five job, um, you you that's that's how it's 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 done right. That's how you sort of are able to do that thing. So it's not like these ads are sort of propping up because they see, or a lot of companies will come to people specifically to put an ad in a place that they 
see is fit for their product or, and that's usually in the in the the realm of, of that person's creative field or space or whatever it is platform um, but to seek that out and put it in your own place how much of that is really um, do you get what I'm trying to say yeah like if I'm looking for advertisements does that sort of affect the integrity of what you're yeah. doing um Personally, like if you were to ask me straight up and say, hey, if I started actively looking for advertising in my work, do you think it would affect its integrity? And I think ultimately, yeah, yeah, I think it would. Um, I'm a, I'm not really a big believer in, in making um, – like I'm a big believer in paying for art, don't get me wrong. Like mm. When it comes to like actually purchasing and acquiring art in any capacity, I'm a big believer in paying artists for their mm. work. But I'm not a big believer in accepting money for my work, if you know what I mean. Like all of my residue music that mm -hmm. I've made has always been free. Um, any music that I try to make in the future will be free. Um, I just, I have a really negative relationship with being paid for works of art for some reason. I can't really explain it. Um, and I think, yeah. Um, it does somehow affect its integrity. I think mm. by putting it into that space of like making it a commodity to be bought and sold and mm. and owned by people, um, you kind of yeah affect its ability to really be a work of art in the best possible sense. Mm. Um, I don't begrudge anyone for you know like if someone wants to get paid for their art, I'm like hell yeah get get money yeah. you know like get paid because mm. if you can do it absolutely but me personally i just feel i agree with you yeah, like, i don't yeah, feel I'd, like you're saying yeah that no we, you know i um <clears throat> i'm i'm personally not super comfortable with it, it makes me feel uncomfortable yeah I, I can understand that i mean i would love to to give a painting to someone that wanted it i would love that um but it's just not really feasible for no, me. No, absolutely not. And it shouldn't it shouldn't ever be like something you feel like you should have to do. Like if you want to do it, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I, I think, and I think that has a lot to do with what it is that's being created though as well. Like with a piece of music that I'm recording at home on a little task cam or whatever, I can't really justify um, letting anyone pay me money for that when it came to the um the album because that did cost some money to create i let people pay what they want for it and that's yeah, a good way i didn't absolutely there's no way i'll ever recuperate the costs for recording it through the potential donations mm. that'll ever trickle through for that but that's not the point the point was is that was to make it and put it out and let people listen to it. And if they want to give me money, cool. I'm not going to say no, but I don't really want it. I don't mm. do it for that reason. I don't want to make it. I don't think anyone starts doing something creatively because they want to make money, you know. Well, I would hope not. You would hope not, but, <laughs> you know, you can't speak for everyone, I suppose. Yeah. But I, I guess that in itself will sort of define Perhaps we'll come back to our point about like what is good art, you know. Does good art from come from someone that sole purpose is to create the art for art's sake or does good art stem from someone who just seeks to have a side hustle, you know? I don't think it really um I don't think the circumstances really matter in that respect, to be honest. Like I think yeah, if someone's just doing it for the hustle, they can still make something that's awesome. Mm. Still make something that 
again could be considered good mm. some could be doing it for the passion and never make a good piece of art in their entire lives mm. but it's more about once you've created it and given it up and sort of accepted that this piece of art doesn't belong to me anymore and now belongs to the world mm. it's only good by the way that people react to it yeah so it could it doesn't matter how it was made or who made it or what it was made with or when it was made as long as people go when they react to it that's a good piece of art mm. then it's a good piece of art mm. mm-hmm. i think is the way i look that's at true. it pretty pretty black and white i guess absolutely yeah well that makes sense and that's really all it should really be about it really, really shouldn't be so much reason to to what makes art even good art if that's even like a, a plausible question to be even asking you know yeah. and then you know the the to, to another sort of um, example of of the example I gave about someone that potentially might be just sort of making art to to make money or just have a sort of a hustle could be someone that needs to make money because they don't have a job and they need to pay the rent that week so they need to make something for someone to enjoy you yeah. know to get that and that in itself could be the and, best kind of and the person who paid for it that could have been the best damn piece of art they have ever had in yeah, their entire lives exactly. so yeah for them it's the it's good art so mm. that's what it is it's just it doesn't matter what anyone else outside of that transaction thinks mm. i think for that specific example but you know the the example applies across the board as it's it's all about the transaction between the art the artist and the the art receiver it's funny i i definitely haven't loved every piece that i make but majority of the time especially recently Pretty much everything that I've made I've been happy with or have at least worked into a point that I feel it's complete and have many works here in the studio that I admire and 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 feel like that I can't part ways with. I feel like I like them that much that I couldn't I couldn't get rid of it. Um, and there's a lot of work that I don't like that sits there as well. But so where I'm going with this point is more based around the good stuff. Even even the work that I like and I think is the best work that I can present to someone, I still can't accept the fact that someone likes it enough to buy it for their own because I have this immediate switch in my mind where it's like, I like that, I'm happy with that. And someone goes, I love this. I would love to buy this from you. You go, oh, oh, that? Oh, you'd like to you'd like to buy this? Especially in the context, like I remember specifically the first painting that I sold in a gallery scenario. I think it was last year. Um, the only reason I had put the paintings into the group exhibition was because I was just a, a member of the group and um, obviously a chance to get some exposure just to be a part of a community in that sense was was all I was really in for, not really expecting much. And my work was quite different from everyone else's involved in the group and I was fine with that. I wasn't super comfortable seeing my stuff involved with everyone else's. I did feel a bit self-conscious about my work but that was sort of just, you know, you brush it off. It, it is what it is. It's nerves. And, it, and in itself, I was still happy with the work. It was just a struggle, struggle to look at it as a whole. Sidebar. But anyway, the point was someone liked one of them enough to buy them. And I, I was honestly so bewildered by that fact. Someone had come up to me during the night and said, congratulations, someone's just bought your painting. And I just, I just couldn't accept that. At least for the first five minutes, it was like, like I'd sold paintings before, 
but just sort of like friends and things. But this was like someone has bought a piece of my work in a gallery amongst all this other great art from these great artists that have been painting for years and years and someone chose something of mine and bought it. That was such a hard concept to accept. And then when I sort of realized the reality, that sentence even makes sense, when I, when that reality had set in about that and the fact that I was going to get money from that and I would no longer have that painting anymore, that was probably the hardest part about it. It's like, oh my God, someone's given me X amount of money, of their money for this thing. Yeah, I like, suppose I, that's, I feel that, like I couldn't accept it. Yeah, that, I suppose that is that is an interesting distinction between, say, creating music and creating, say, something like uh, painting. Mm-hmm. Is that when someone wants to buy music from me or anyone else, what they get for the most part now is well, what they always got was a copy, was mm-hmm. a recording of the music. They get a a a copy that they could take home and play forever and ever and ever. But when someone buys a painting from you, they buy the painting. They buy the original. You Mm. don't have it anymore. It's gone. It's Mm. now actually out of the realm of like what you can now access. Like I can can go back and listen to all of the music that I've created. Mm. I don't for um, like not often anyway, but um, I actually, I, I squirm at that fact like there's still that still makes me really uncomfortable the fact that I don't have that painting anymore I don't know how to get past it Mm. it's actually quite like a I've never really thought about it too much because I know it's a slippery slope if I do Do and I still have like photos of those paintings yeah so so you do take photos absolutely absolutely have have some sort of record of them yeah absolutely but it's still like this painting that I'm talking about specifically in this gallery. Like, I really liked that painting. That's why I exhibited it. But I can't I can't pick that up and look at that painting anymore. Have you ever thought about, like, painting copies of your paintings? Is that something that you could possibly do? I don't know or? how we do that. Yeah, so there's no way. So Like recreate a painting? Yeah. yeah no, could, I couldn't do it. Yeah, see, I, I'm much the same with the music a lot of the time. Some of it I can. Some of it I have a pretty good, like, the structure and the way it is doesn't change particularly too much that I can sort of roughly recreate mm. things. You know, I've got particular techniques and ideas that I sort of rely on a lot of the time. But with a painting that you're doing, there's no way, say, that you could then have a painting that you've done start another canvas and yeah. try and like and try and paint that exact image again or at least something related similar to it. Number one, fuck that. Yeah. Because what we've been saying the whole time is that the art is in the, the moment in that expression. Yeah. Yeah. Recreating that painting would be absolutely meaningless. Not absolutely perhaps, but you know, why would it why would I do that? Um, it would, wouldn't come out the same. I would get frustrated in the process trying to make it the same again. Um, I like the idea, but it's just, it just would, it would never work. And that's why, that's why recently I've been doing these prints because I don't have to sell the original. Would still sell them if I, if someone really wanted it. Um, but that means I can sell the work that I love and still have that original work. That's probably the best way. I hope other people can relate to this, you know, because it's like... Well, a lot of artists only sell print. 
Yeah. Like, no, not many artists, you know, like working artists today, at least that I've seen online, you know, I could be very wrong. Mm. Um, mostly self prints, mm. if not exclusively self prints of their work. So, you know, you're, you're in the, the, the common group of, <laughs> of working I think, artists. I also think, um, it's, it's, this is also not like I'm selling a painting every week or anything either, because I'm definitely not, um, and probably never will. Um, most of my sales have been copies of, of things in the original oil painting here and there. Um, and I think per perhaps a lot of the reason why people are just selling prints, whether it's on purpose or not, is because that's all that people can afford. Because one thing I've come to realize um, in my work is that my main clientele, I've probably said this a million times on the podcast, sorry for people listening, but my work only really appeals to a certain demographic, at least what I perceive and what I, the, the immediate sort of feedback and statistics that I can put into place from what I, what I know about my audience is really just people uh, my age um, that have about as much money as I do, which isn't enough to buy a big oil painting. But I keep making them. I keep making big oil paintings. Probably never really going to sell them, at least most of them. Um, yeah, it's like the only way I can actually make sales with the people that like my work and want to support me, again, people my age, friends of mine, um, is through is through copies and cheap prints. And I'm okay with that, but it's just like there has to be a way that I can sort of reach, I guess, more people with what I do or reach an audience where people are able to sort of pay more for a larger work or whatever it's going to be but that doesn't necessarily matter that's just sort of if, I guess if you're sort of looking at it with that goal in mind to sell everything you make which is not the idea it's just like you know the studio is probably only going to be hand, be able to handle so many paintings in it before I have to get rid of some stuff you know yeah but anyway I don't know where I was going with that another thing I was going to mention is um one thing that, that does actually give me a lot of comfort when it comes to selling a painting is actually, um, I don't know how common or uncommon this is, but just meeting the person that buys the painting has been something that I've actually has actually made it okay. This particular sale that I gave the example of, the one I sold in the gallery, that is still kind of unsettling because I did technically meet so I didn't technically meet the person who bought it, but I met their partner on the night right they'd come up to me and said like my husband's just bought your work that's amazing thank you so much for and that was it yeah. i don't know where the painting is i don't know the name of the person that owns it what they're um, into what they're about what they do what they're going to do with it where the painting's going to be in a few years time it could be that's what unsettles me could be hanging up in some museum ten thousand dollars tag sitting on it you could know who fucking knows you know it's a weird thought but I have had a sale at one point in time. I had put a couple of paintings on Trade Me, which I didn't really like doing. Never thought I would do. Um, but I was in financial crisis, so I needed to make some money then and there, so I put some paintings on Trade Me. Um, this couple had bought a painting, like, almost within, like, the first 10 minutes of me posting the painting on Trade Me. I couldn't believe it. This is another, like, what, really? Like, that sold that quickly? What? They sent me, like, the nicest email that I've ever received in my life. It was, like, a couple that lived 
somewhere inland. Somewhere up north somewhere, I think, actually. I can't remember. Anyway, um, just the most, like, descriptive email about them and, like, what they do, what they like about the work, why they like it, where it's going to go. They were, like, a, um, they were collectors. They like to support New Zealand artists. My work caught their eye. They wanted to support me. They knew I must have been in the description that I was a New Zealand artist or a young artist or something or something. So they wanted to support me in that. We'd had a few emails back, emails back and forth, but like that just brought me so much peace with the idea that I was parting ways with that painting because I knew where it was going. Yeah. Granted, I hadn't met that them in person. But that email was enough to be like, wow, I know this painting is going to a good home. And I think that's the only way any artist could really, what what any artist could ask for when selling an original is that they know where it's going and that it's in good hands. You know, it's not just going to Joe Bloggs on the street sort of yeah. thing, you know. It's, it's going to someone else. Yeah. Yeah, someone, yeah. So someone that, that was, will that actually was take quite care calming. of it and appreciate it. And, exactly. Yeah and like do something with it when it comes time for them to part ways with it, whether it's give it to another collector or a gallery or whatever it's going to be. So that was, that was calming enough for me. Yeah. I don't know if that spools into anything. Else, no, but that's no, just sort I, of like the I process. Think, I think that's good. I think, um, but you definitely have that benefit yeah. as a musician to be able to it, do that. It allows you to sort of not really have to think about that at all. Hmm. Um, but then again, going back to it, like if it was up to me and it was, you know, totally in this live setting, it's mostly about yeah, doing it once and giving it up forever. Hmm. There's no, there's no physical transaction. And I think again, it just sort of is about so much is so much about how the medium of expression really does manipulate what it is that you're trying to do and what your intention can be and mm. what the message and purpose to your art can actually be and how hard it is to then let go of those feelings or whatever those concepts may be and mm. pass them on to other people because ultimately that's all you really, you know, you can't make art and then never show it to anyone or never show yeah. what's, there's not really much point to that I don't think. Yeah. You might have some insight into this. Something else I've been thinking about recently is like, is how much exposure you should give to your work. Um, this 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 point will differ between, uh, typically will differ between visual artists and musicians. That seems to be our general topic at the at the moment, obviously with you and I. But, um, you know how much like I definitely believe in the concept about showing your art when it's made and showing the best work that you make on any given day, week, month, however however often you you make art. For me, it's quite regularly um, and it's in short bursts. So stuff that I make happens pretty quickly. It's usually within a day. I don't usually take more than a day on a painting. So on any given week, I can create maybe two or three bodies of work. So I wonder, should I be showing those works as soon as they're made every time or should I be being a bit more uh, reclusive? Is that the right word? Selective? Yeah, or just, just a bit more uh, um, a bit more mystery to it, not as many reveals, I suppose, picking the time and place to present something as yeah. opposed to just presenting everything. Well, again, and I think that sort of stems back into like 
the overall sort of topic we've been talking about in that, you know, like your intention for your art and what you're trying to do because you have to make that decision. Because um, I've definitely, you know, working across multiple different styles and projects and what have you, have had different approaches to doing that and answering that question. With the, the residue stuff, it is very much just like finish it, do it, put it out. It's out there. Don't really expose it too much. It just goes from one end to the other yeah. is out. But then I've been in, you know, groups where it's like very planned and calculated and this thing comes out on this day and then we do this and this is how this is going to be structured and such and such and so on. Um and they can both be successful for different reasons. But again it just it's what you're trying to do. Mm. And if you're trying to do one thing or the other then go for the one that you think is going to be most successful. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think I think that's kind of what I'm doing without really thinking about it too much. I basically just don't want my work to become oversaturated or I don't want people to become numb to it. Yeah. I don't want to overexpose myself or in the work I make, you know. I want it I want I want a bit of mystery, I want a bit of um you know, I want when someone sees work of mine, I want it to be fresh and, and eye opening and not just, oh, there's another painting from Kieran, you know? Yeah. Trying to find sort of the medium the medium between that because I do I do want to create success within what I do, um, whether that be just popularity or financial gain or just general recognition as an artist. Um, and I feel like there's ways in which to do that, but I also want to sort of keep this this sort of element where there is a bit of intrigue and a bit of wondering what if. And so it, trying to find the medium between those two things. Yeah, and that's a lot harder to do, you know, sort of nowadays with um, the internet and just how most people now present and expose their art to people. Because mm. if you think about it, like back in the day, you know, you could really only see art at gallery openings or museums or that sort of thing, um, or wherever art was seen back in the day. But now, you know, you not only are you competing with the sort of fear of overexposure by yourself of your own work, but now you're competing with like everyone's overexposure to every other piece of work and content that exists online that mm. they're exposed to 24-7 just due to it being a stream from their hand into their brain, um, which adds another layer to the sort of complications of how people consume art and ha if it is even effective at all mm. at getting to people because, you know, you could you don't even know from your end what people on the other end of the algorithm mm. actually get to see what you post. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's quite... Um I think it's sad sometimes actually how little people do interact with art that's being presented on social media. And and particularly just in my case, I don't notice a lot of feedback, which is fine. You don't have to reply to everything I post to. That would eventually become stale as well. But, you know, it, it, does, it does start to affect your mentality around what you're doing if no one's actually responding to what you do yeah. and a like means next to nothing these days like it's it's nice it's nice to see people liking your stuff but it doesn't really empower you at all yeah. you know i i often i don't really use like social media in any capacity um i may 
use it to put the occasional piece of music online. But for the most part, you know, I just have a space where a website, you know, like a Bandcamp page where I upload the songs and that's where they exist. Um, just because, yeah, there is no real meaningful way to interact with a piece of art through social media, in my opinion. Mm. Um, you can't, like, looking at, you know, just take, for example, this painting right here mm. on the wall that you sent me a photo of however many weeks or months ago it was. It's a totally different work of art to what's right here mm. in front of us now. Mm. There's so much more to it. There's so much more to talk about. There's so much more in it that exists as a work of art mm. that you don't see, can't interpret, and can't really make sense of through social media. And that's why I think you know people can't really interact with art through social media, you can't really experience it through mm. a phone screen. That's true. That's really, yeah. That's that's pretty much it in a nutshell, isn't it? Because, and that's why you have gallery openings and why you exhibit art because it's not the same. But, you know. And the same could be said, you know, of, of, of any art, of any work of art. I don't mm. think a phone or social media is the, the appropriate way to consume art of any of anything I guess what it's really doing if, if we're going to talk about benefits that social media can give art I suppose it's just starting the conversation you know it's, getting it's, people exposed to it yeah it's it's getting ideas across at least and it's also giving um, invitation I suppose as well you can present you could in the most literal sense tell someone about an exhibition and post a painting and say, hey, come see this in person. You know? yeah. and it's, so it's a tool in that regard. But yes, for just plain old consuming art, I, I don't believe in it either. But, yeah. you know. And I, a lot of people don't really see it as a tool, though. They see it as the mode of consumption, which I think is the the unfortunate thing about the way that it's used for art, is yeah. that there aren't those physical interactions between real people and real art happening Um to sort of reinforce the exposure that they're getting through social media, which, you know, just needs to happen more, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and obviously there's cases in which, you know, like obviously you're, you've, you've been invited to the studio this evening, so you've been able to see things in person. I can't, you know, post a painting and say, everyone come around to the studio and see it in person. Number one, that's not going to happen. No one's going to fucking do that. Uh yeah, it's just not plausible. No, you know, absolutely like, not. Like it's it's time and place, and it's who you're with and what you're able to actually access. But not everyone always has the 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 ability to be actually able to exit. Uh, sorry, exhibit something at any given time and place. So, I think social media is good for being able to just those little quick bursts. It's almost like a it's almost like a I'm working sort of thing. It's like I'm st I'm still making art, you know. You're sort of giving the idea about your process and, I suppose, work ethic to a, a broader audience. Whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. But I sort of I I just I guess I just am a social media user, so I just sort of default to doing these things. I typically try to not overanalyze why or why I why or why I would or wouldn't post something. You know, yeah, it's, it's just, just it again, just happens. It's, it's just another type of like media that mm. you're consuming mm. and how that's shaping and manipulating the way you behave and mm. the way you are and stuff like that. Because yeah, because people use it so much, they just get comfortable with posting. You know. Mm. 
large amounts of what they're doing on to the platform. And I think, yeah, it can absolutely be beneficial because people are interested in that. That's mm. not something that people, like, I might be an anomaly to say that, you know, I don't use it and don't really interact with mm. it. But for the va vast majority of people, they are. Yeah. And so, therefore, it is a good tool of getting art out to the masses and getting people interested in mm. it and getting them engaging with it in that sort of capacity. So, yeah, it is, it is a, a positive for that, you know, respect. But... There is a there is a lot to be said about you know just how much more powerful art can be mm. when you take it out of that realm and make it more physical and more visceral and more like actual for people because it the two don't really compare I don't think yeah no I would agree with that yeah it's it's, it's a weird it's a weird world a weird art world that we live in at the moment I think yes. and I still don't really have the answers to anything. And it's, I, I keep telling myself, it's still super early days for everything that's going to happen for me art-wise, you know, like there's so much time to be able to do the things that I think I want to do or achieve the things in a way that, which, that I want to do it, you know. But, I mean, again, the reality is I just, I'm happy doing what I'm doing for now and if that keeps me going, that's really all the only explanation I need is just that it keeps me happy. I think... Uh We've uh, come back around to the the beginning there about why you do mm. what you do. You mm. know, is that you uh, paint because it makes you happy. So, mm. you know, should we uh, probably a good spot to then come back around and yeah, sounds finish good. It up? Man. Yeah, yeah, I was I was yeah, I was thinking we've we've definitely done it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually starting to get a bit tired. So. <laughs> well, there you go. Look, thanks for coming, man. No, this was it. this was really fun. Yeah. Um, I I. I'm glad I got to really sort of get inside your thought process because I've always got it in little glimpses and I know there was something more to what we could talk about. So I'm yeah, glad well, we got the yeah, opportunity. I'm, I'm glad I could uh, fill up the, the time there with something at least half by interesting absolutely, to us. Absolutely. It's very good. Well, I, again, for the listeners, um, if you guys want to seriously look at um, what we've pretty much been talking about the whole time, um, uh, specifically this painting you can see that on youtube so i'll be making a video we'll probably sort of cut it in at the time that it starts and people will be able to assess it that way which sort of contradicts count contradicts the whole point we were just talking about with yeah. social media but it's there at least for you guys to get to get an idea um and if people want to sort of check you out is that something you encourage or is that something, um, something yeah, people can yeah do? so um basically the best way to listen to my music would be to listen to it on bandcamp it's just residue nz dot bandcamp.com so everything i've ever made um that's pretty much it. It's the best way. We'll put a link to that in the bio as well, so people can just go straight to that and check you out. Because I think people should be checking you out. Thanks. Whether people want to or not, art should be consumed in some way, shape, or form. So we'll accept that. Sweet as cool. Thanks, Thanks for having Joe. me, man. Appreciate it, man. All, All right, good. bye, everybody. Home Audio Entertainment Nine Zero One Six Radio, the show for artists of all kinds. Sit down, relax, enjoy the music.